let me begin with a little disclaimer. Uh, the message I had prepared for you that I asked Jane to uh, advertise, I'm going to do a little twist on it. Is that okay? Just go ahead and say yes, because I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I had planned on teaching tonight on how to pray with authority and effectiveness, and I was going to walk you through the steps to that, but I got a check this week uh, from the Lord, and I, I'm going to make it just a, a I'm going to preface that lesson with something else tonight, and then we'll get to it. So you give me permission to just have liberty in this. So I, I do want to be sensitive and and. To, the, to what's going on here. Um, as I was preparing the message, actually I had it ready to go, and the Lord prompted me to go back to Carla's message from last week and to tag on that and to bring it forward and then make it seamless with what I'll be teaching on the next message. So I'm going to fill in some blanks. I'm going to unpack some things that maybe might be ambiguous or vague, and I'll Tell you what those words mean later, okay? <laughs> the impression I got was this. Bill, it was a quote from Bill Johnson. He said, the Holy Spirit is here in me for my sake, but the Holy Spirit is on me for your sake. So tonight we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit being in us for our sake, and then on the next round we'll talk about the Holy Spirit being on us for other people's, okay? So it's an in us and through us and outward kind of thing. So one has to precede the other, I think, and the Lord wants me to go back and pick up some pieces that I think you need to know. I was reading in Acts uh, 4.13, I, I recognized what he was telling me about, because if you remember her last week, her message was on encounters with God and angels and spiritual things throughout the week that we see supernatural things going on. You guys ever have any things like that? Do you think it might be God in your day? And you think, wow, that might have been a supernatural event that I just witnessed or experienced. It's what she kind of taught on last week. So this is um, this this connection I'm going to be doing from this encounters from Acts 4:13, and the the uh, Jewish leaders and were taking note of the disciples and said the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. And then he says this, they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So the effect in their lives was powerful, and everyone observed it was because, not because they were trained or especially good at what they were doing, it's because they had been with Jesus. And that's where we're going to go with this message. We're going to find out what it, would it be like if we had been with Jesus before we went out among people and began to share things. Uh, we would do it in a different spirit, I think, don't you? Do this. It's the truth. So to bear with me while I build a bridge between these two thoughts on the subject of encounter. When Carla was teaching um, on the subject of encounters last week, my imagination was running wild. And I've got a good one. But I was, I, I, you'll never guess what was going on in my head, but I was listening to her intently. But uh, my mind drifted, I'm a sci-fi buff, and my mind drifted to that movie from 1977, Encounters of the Third Kind. You remember that one? Well, it was a low-budget film, really. It was only like $20 million. It went on to be an incredible success, and it's, um, it's been deemed a, a classic. Um, but I was thinking about that when she was talking about Encounters, and it tells the story of some people whose lives were changed after Encounters with superior intelligence 
from outer space. In the opening scenes, there were random contacts with, between this higher intelligence, whoever, whatever this was from outer space, with human beings, and it began as a blinding light from the sky. You remember that light that would come down and, and fix on people? And it, was, um, it began with that scene, that kind of thing. And it left the people, you remember, it left them with an inner awareness that something had happened and they had this incredible desire to find out what that was about. And all of them had an image of a place they were supposed to be. Remember that mountaintop? So of particular interest to me, though, the one thing that I picked out as I went back and thought about this was one character in the movie who was an old guy, and he, he, was, uh, he was telling the um, people who were questioning him, interviewing him, what had happened in his encounter in this experience. And get this language. This is really good. It says, <coughs> he says, the sun came out at night and sang to me. So his experience was all he knew was that it got incredibly bright and he heard this music that sounded like a melody and someone was singing to him. So hold that thought because we're going to connect some things here in a minute spiritually. It's interesting language. And the song he heard was really a, uh, a five-chord um, tune played over and over again re re repetition. And uh, we see in the movie it's part of each person's story that was in the movie. Every one of them had the same experience. They heard the music, they saw the light, and had an incredible desire to follow this thing to some gathering that they were unaware of. And so and when they responded to the song, this is what's really cool about this, and I'll get on with the message. But when they responded to the song and they all gathered on this mountaintop, they began to sing the song back to the voice, and the voice came down to be with them. This gives me the jitters. I'm just going, this is really so spiritual in my interpretation. It's a picture of what I want to talk about tonight. So you remember last week, Carla taught us about encounters with God that sounded in many ways like that movie, I think, because she is so ethereal and just out there and mystical and everything, and everything she does is a spiritual experience, and I'm going, boy, I wish I could be like that. You know, I'm so left-brained, it hurts. And so I love people who have the ability to move um, just, just freely and with liberty like that. But my takeaway from her message was, was this. Uh, human beings of every kind are still being drawn into encounters by some mysterious force. Everyone, believers, unbelievers, I was being drawn as a young man. And I, I knew something was happening there, but I didn't know how to respond. I didn't know who it was. And I couldn't connect the dots. I couldn't put it together and say, that's God, and he wants me to come to him because that would have made no sense to me. I had no grid for understanding that. I was just doing my thing. So he also asserted that God is still initiating contact in our everyday lives. And while they, they, we may not see pillars of fire, we can still recognize that, that these things as invitations to join him. It seems that he, in his contact with us throughout the week, that he, he's just touching us on the shoulder and saying, I'm here. So she's saying if we can can become aware of those things, we can begin to respond to them. You with me so far? This will make sense in a minute. And she told us that we can recognize these encounters if we just allow ourselves to become 
aware of his activity. So the, the in my life, encounters with uh, spiritual beings and with God, God sightings, these have been, some of these things have been incredibly powerful, and they were life-changing. I've had some, some really significant events in my life that I know was God, and it changed my direction and my attitude and my heart. But those things are random, and they're spontaneous, and they come at these crazy intervals, and sometimes they don't come forever. Am I right? And so it leaves us hungry for that experience, so I'm going to talk about the interim between these spectacular events. What does the normal Christian do when they're waiting on God to show up? So what if, here's a what if question, what if those encounters with this mysterious God didn't have to be random and infrequent? What if we could contact him? What if we could make contact with him at will? just when we needed to, in sometimes the same powerful way? What if we could become aware of his invitation and actually play a part in creating an atmosphere where he would want to come and join us? You understand what I'm saying? What if we actually participated in this encounter by creating a place and a time and a heart that he would want to participate with us in? Does that pique your interest? So this, um, I, I have several thoughts on encounters, <laughs> still crazy ones, but I think there are encounters with God, and I think there are encounters with men and mankind. And I'm going to talk about both of those. Tonight I'm talking primarily about an encounter with God, and then coming from that place of empowerment and peace and strength and courage and identity, how do then we go out and encounter mankind? Because the world is a difficult place to try to navigate without some sense of spiritual authority. Am I right? Yeah? Okay. There, so the first is an encounter with God, and it's absolutely essential. Oh, good. More, more noise. It's, it's absolutely essential to have a contact with God prior to a healthy contact with another person. How many of you have tried to minister to someone out of your own flesh and your own strength? Everybody do that. If you ever prayed for anyone, raise your hand. And how did that go? It's not so good. So we should learn something from that, that something needs to be done in preparation to encountering people spiritually. We're going to talk about how do we do that tonight and get God involved before we encounter mankind. Okay. I think, I think Carla used the language. I'm going to try to demystify this and simplify it for us. So encountering God is our first goal. Can you hear me okay still? Okay. First, that encounter with God is for ourselves so that we have him powerfully in us and we're aware of that and it strengthens us and it builds us up. And secondarily, this encounter with God is so that we can then help other people to have that same encounter. I, I'll just be honest with you. I've done ministry for 30-something years, and not people, not many people give a rip what I believe about my doctrine. 
Not many people care about my Bible knowledge. But everyone cares if I can show them how to connect with God in a way that's real to them. Am I right? So that's what we're going to talk about. Here's some questions I'm going to try to answer tonight, if I can. One of them is, how can we move from the realm of random and frequent encounters with God into something else, into something more consistent, something um, repeatable, something that we can actually initiate? The other question I'm going to answer is, do people... Do people play a role in creating their own times of encounter? Can you create your own encounter with God? Is this heretical? (laughs) I don't think so. I I see it in the Bible all the time. Um, And I'll show you in a minute. Another question we have is, can we create the kind of atmosphere where encounters can happen in our lives? And can we reproduce that experience with another person and help them to encounter God in the same way? Good questions, huh? To answer all those questions, I'll start with one, a one-liner by Bob Hazlitt, and it says this, awareness is the first step to accessing more of God and what he wants to give you. There is always more. So the first step in accessing God is learning to become aware. Now, how do we become aware? Any thoughts? Okay. So, So becoming aware means that, first of all, you become aware that you're not aware. It's a what? Okay. Okay. So if Mimi? Okay, that's really good. And I think both of you have something to that. What we have to learn, first of all, about awareness is that we become conscious of the fact that we're not. And then we begin to desire, desire, create a desire and a motivation to cry out to him to help us with that. And that's always the answer, to realize we have lack and to cry out to God to come to us, and he feeds us, and he meets our needs. So I'm going to talk about, I'm going to define awareness here. It means being conscious of something, alive to something, or aware, or um, alert to something or someone. So if I'm conscious of someone, and I'm alert to them, then there's I've made a note in my focus that I'm giving it to that person or that thing. I'm diverting all my busyness and all my other activities and extraneous thoughts, and I'm diverting them into a single focus and I'm becoming aware. It's an intentional act that's based on my choice. Every step to an encounter with God comes out of awareness. There is a point where we become alive to and alert to his presence. 
That reminds me of about a time I was, I was thinking about buying. Isn't that wonderful? I was thinking about buying an automobile, and I had in mind, Janet and I have been thinking about buying a Toyota RAV4. And so we didn't care about the color so much as we just wanted that little, that little commuter that got good gas mileage and it had all-wheel drive. And so as soon as we focused on RAV4s, what do you think we saw on the highway? All over the place. And why had I not seen them before? They were always there because I had not been focused and aware, right? And so when you begin to think of something and you give your attention to it, you become aware of it in your environment, your atmosphere. So how can we play a role in this happening in our lives? Uh, I think by focusing on and giving attention to the object of our desires. Do you have any trouble paying attention to something you just love to do? Do you, ha do you? <laughs> do you have trouble paying attention and being focused and aware when there's someone with you that you really love to be with? Initially, we don't. When we're in our little dating stage and everything, it's all goo-goo eyes and holding hands, sweet talk. And so there's something about that that we give our attention to because we're aware of that person we have there, the object of our desire. It's the same thing with God. As we become more enamored with him and more affectionate with him, he becomes more and more of our focus, and we see him everywhere. You believe that? I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> I think that the, this thought from the, remember the, the movie, The Field of Dreams, that baseball or field in the cornfield? And Kevin Costner kept hearing a voice telling him, if you build it, they will come. And I just thought, you know what, that's exactly right. If we build an atmosphere for God and welcome him, he will come. It just, we just need to learn how to do that, don't we? And then we need to desire that more than we desire things like me watching TV or playing computer games or the silly things I do that are distractions that take me away from the object of my love and desire. We need to create what we call intentional encounters. You with me? This means that, that the atmosphere must come from something that we create. We're not waiting for God to initiate it on his part and hoping and hoping and hoping that maybe this month we'll have an encounter, we're saying, I can't wait for that. I want to have an encounter with God sooner than that. And I'm going to create an environment in my life where that can happen. And I'm going to invite him into it. And I will assure you, I'll promise you this, if you mean it and you invite God into your atmosphere, he will come. Because that's, uh, that's the desire of his heart. He loves us. He loves to be with us. There, we can create this atmosphere of invitation in a number of different ways. Uh, and you've heard all these teachings before, I'm sure. But one way is to sit down with God and just begin to thank him. And to, be, uh, to have a, a, an attitude of gratitude and begin to recount the things he's done for us and who he is to us. And in no time at all, if we just be still for a moment, we can sense his presence. You know, you won't see him probably in substance, but you'll know he's there because he leaves an impression on you, doesn't he? He touches you spiritually, and your whole body is aware of that. So one way is to be thankful, to have gratitude, and to begin to speak words of kindness and affection toward him. Another way is worship, like tonight. 
it was, it's, it's wonderful to begin to sit and to focus on words of adoration, words that, that, uh, that say something to God about how I feel about him. And, and I can start off, I don't know about you, I can start off and I'm just mouthing the words. And if I'm paying attention, it's not long until I'm engaged and I'm actually seeing them to God. Have you experienced that? That's worship. It's a form of worship. There's a third kind, and that's the one I'm going to talk about of opening an invitation to God that I want to talk about tonight. This is the one that's we're going to be connecting this ministry to other people with. This is called what I call an invitation to surrender. It can play an important role in creating the kind of atmosphere where God always responds, and this is by giving him his place in my life and inviting him in to the things that are going on in my life, to begin to dialogue with him, begin to tell him where I'm at and what's happening and how I feel and begin to just have a dialogue with him as if he were a really good friend. Do you know he responds to that? And so something happens here. I mean, when I'm open and honest with God about where I am in my life and I invite him into it, he always is available to me. Is um, engaging God in my life activities is something he always enjoys doing. I remember once, Dave and I used to play golf years ago, and, and before I went out, I said, Lord, I just pray you to go with us today, and, uh, and I really need you to help me with my golf game. And he said, Baba, yeah, well, Dave always beat me. I've never beat Dave, so heck with that. So, we, so I remember this conversation, though, because it was so real. And it, was, it surprised me what he said. He said, Bob, let me tell you something. I don't give a flip about golf, but I love to be with golfers, and I'd love to walk with you. You hear the difference? He didn't care about improving my game so much as he did improving who I am. <laughs> and, he, and he loved to be with us. We would pray and invite him and, and try to behave ourselves, and, and he would be with us. This can be an invitation to, when we stop and invite him into our lives, it can be for good things. What are the good things we look to God to bring to us? What? Peace, direction, wisdom, jobs. These are the things that are the positive elements. But there's also on the other side, there's things that we need where we're in pain. And there's times where we're, the difficult times where we're in crisis and where we're emotionally bankrupt and, uh, or, or spiritually we're just having a difficult time, he loves to join us in those times as well. So when we invite him into our lives and we surrender that part of our lives into his care, he relishes that. Do you, do you believe that with me? It's absolutely the truth. And the more I say it, the more I wonder why I don't do this more often. <laughs> it's good for me to, to teach these things because I have to. I can't be a hypocrite. I have to go practice what I'm preaching. And so I do. Whatever I'm telling you to do, I'm also experiencing in my own life. Some time ago, I had a poster on my computer. And um, I can't remember. Oh, it's Lance Walla now. I don't know if you know who he is, but it said this. And I had it on there to remind me of something. Talking about tough times and working through difficulty, it just reminded me of this message. And it says this. Don't let any problem get away without interrogation. Ask why it came, 
and what purpose it serves, and don't let it go until it blesses you. Now, if you think about, about that for a minute, that's really good because it means then that there's these problems in our lives, God's not blind to those. He's working through them to bring something to us that we need in our lives. And he's not oblivious to our pain and to our difficulties. It's like this thing that's going on with Paula. He hasn't turned his back on her. She's not in sin. There's not things going on here that God can't do. Our job as people who love her is to begin to turn in honest, genuine prayer and begin to speak to that condition. We don't have to beg God for, for, to heal someone. He already wants to heal them. What he wants us to do is to represent him on this earth and begin to speak words of healing to these people and command this thing to change. Now, we're not good at it yet, but we will be because we're in a new season. And what's coming next in the, in the church, in the Christian community, is going to be a season of the church rising up and becoming something more than it has been. Do you get a sense of that? I really believe that. Here's a promise in Jeremiah 29, 13. Everybody remembers the one from 2911, but this follows two verses later. Just listen to this. This is God speaking. He says, when you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and you want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. That's the Passion Translation. You probably heard it differently. But he's saying that when you're ready to be serious about this and you mean it, just tell me. And I'm here, and I'm in. That's who we serve. This is the God that we serve. So what are you most, not what, when are we most serious about finding God? What's that? When we need something, when there's a need. It can be a good need or it can be a bad need, right? But obviously, when do we come to the place where we realize we have a need and we need to pray? That's exactly right. That's what I do. That's the last thing I think of. I say, oh, yeah, I've tried everything else in my own power, and I can't pull this off. I guess I'll pray, spiritual man that I am. And so I eventually get around to praying, and what I would like to do is begin to go there first, but I don't do that. I'm, I'm a human being, and that humanity in me still thinks that I need to control my life and do everything because I'm supposed to, Right? I don't usually go to God, too. But that's what human beings do. But let me tell you about human beings. We were born with a nature that wants to control our lives, and we typically only go to God when we're out of every other option. But here's the problem with that behavior. You're not human beings anymore. I want you to think about this. You're not a human being anymore. What you were has been changed with the coming of Jesus Christ. You're a new creation. What made you go from being a human being to a spirit being, a spirit man or spirit woman? Spirit's the key word there in the clue. We invited Jesus to come into our lives, and what did he do? He didn't just visit. He said, I'm here to stay if you mean it. So he bonded his spirit to our spirit, and we became one. 
And in becoming one in this union with him, we became a new creation. We're now spirit beings with a human body. We're not just human beings. You get it? So we, don't, we aren't bound by the limitations that we were bound by before. We have unlimited possibilities, imagination, and resources. And I'm thinking that something's going to change about this when we start realizing that. We'll begin to pray with a different kind of faith, with a greater expectation. So I'm just beginning to give you a clue right now that you're not who you were if you have the Spirit of Christ living in you, if you've invited him to come and live in your life. You're something more. And the something more is exponentially greater because of the who is living in you. All right. Dr. Luke wrote this to you, you spirit beings. So you can begin to start thinking differently. And he said, don't ever be afraid, dearest friends. Your loving father joyously gives you his kingdom realm with all of its promises. Don't be afraid. Your loving father has given you his kingdom realm with all his promises. Now, in that exchange, I think I've fallen short on writing any checks on that account. Just to be honest. And now since we're more than human beings, we have solutions that weren't previously available to us, and we have authority that we didn't previously have that we're going to learn how to exercise here in a couple of weeks when I get around to part two of this thing. But Second Timothy speaks to this, and it says... God will never give you a spirit of fear. Never. That doesn't come from God. He says the Holy Spirit who gives you mighty power, love, and self-control is what we've been given. Now, I think it's time we began to believe that, don't you? And I, we began to do that by becoming aware of the fact that we don't. And when we're aware that we don't believe that, we begin to do what? What we always do when we have need, we turn to God and ask him to help us, okay? We don't try harder. We turn to God because he has the answer. It's the same with Psalm 46. When I read this passage, I slowly become convinced there's something else available to me that I haven't really taken hold of. Have you ever sensed that, that there's something about your walk that you haven't grown into yet? you haven't really understood and believed and walked in? Well, that's true. Psalm 46, God, you're such a safe and powerful place to find refuge. You're a proven help in times of trouble. You're more than enough and always available whenever I need you. So there's a foundational prayer for, for this thing. So if he is all a proven help in times of trouble and he's more than enough and he's always available whenever I need him, then how do I take hold of that promise and make it work in my life? How do I practically begin to create an intentional atmosphere where God can come whenever I need him, that I can experience him in a supernatural way right there in my living room or right there in my car or wherever I may be where I have need? A few years ago, I found myself in a particularly tough place one morning I was in what I call a prayer of lamentation. You know what that is? I was whining and complaining. <laughs> I'm really good at it too. I, I was really, a, I had a lot of self-pity going. And 
I was generating a lot of really ugly stuff. And I remember <laughs> I was overwhelmed by life. I really had some serious problems. I had some, a number of health issues. And I just couldn't get anything going on. I couldn't get healing. The doctors couldn't get their act together. They couldn't get medication to work for me. Nothing was working. I was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. Something happened uh, as I moved through my morning devotional that morning. I remember the Lord st stopping me in the midst of my self-pity. And uh, as he will do, he didn't slap me around or wasn't angry with me. He just began to talk to me to get my attention. And he said this. I took a set from my journals. He says, Bob, look at what you're doing. You're staring at your problems and you're becoming fixated with their power in your life. You're actually setting your observation on the difficulties and you're beginning to believe them. You're coming into a place of agreement that they're true and you're settling for whatever they're bringing to your life. And he says, by constantly giving your attention to those problems, you're in essence, you're turning your back on me to face the, the natural disasters in your life, these crises. Your problems have become the focus of your faith. And you're going under, son. It's a good thing we had a father-son talk, wasn't it? And he said, the array of problems have become too much for you. And they will kill you with worry and fear if you don't do something different. Well, he had my attention. So he told me to do this. And he used, what does this mean in football? It means time out. It means the same thing in marriage discussions when you're having an argument. <laughs> it means time out. Stop what you're doing and pause. So he gave me that and he says, I want you to do this. I want you to stop glaring at and fixating on those problems. I want you to stop it. And I want you to do this and make an attempt right now. We want you, I want you to move to put that out of your mind. We're going to do something else. And so he said, he said, basically, I want you to stop what you're doing. He says, now I want you to physically stand up. I said, why, why do I need to stand up? And he says, because I want you to remember this visually. I want it to become a real practice where you actually do this, not only physically, but in your spirit and in your emotions. I want you to stand up and do a timeout and say, stop. You got it? Step one. In a situation where you're going under, somebody yell, stop. Or this thing will continue on down the road and it doesn't get better. So he said, he says, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn 180 degrees away from the problems and turn your back on them, and I want you to face me. You, get, you see the picture? It's as if I was standing here looking at this list of health problems, and he says, I want you to quit looking at those, and I want you to turn around and look at me. Stop and turn and get a good perspective on the truth. And how do you do that? You ask him, what do you know about this that's going on in my life that's killing me? What do you know that's the truth as opposed to what I'm interpreting in my own belief system that's probably wrong? So what have we got so far? We stop and we turn and we ask. I've taught this 
in my recovery groups, in my men's groups, in counseling for years. And do you know what? I've taught this to people that aren't even Christians, and they get it because they learned that they can stop and turn to God and begin a dialogue, and it goes well for them. So he said, turn away from the sight of those overwhelming issues. Choose to fix your gaze on something besides worry and fear. Or it will consume you. Instead, I want you to turn to me, fix your gaze on me. I am your hope and your future. And everything you need to know, you can get from my counsel. Then he instructed me, he says, now go ahead and ask me what I know about those issues and problems. Ask me about your health. Ask me about these things and go down there line by line and ask me what I know about these things. And I, he says, I'll promise you I will do one of two things. I'll give you an answer that's a solution or I'll give you my peace that transcends your understanding and takes you out of that place of pain. And one of two things will happen. We'll get an answer that brings a solution or he'll give us his peace to endure in the moment. After time of sharing my fears and journaling, I believe what the Lord was saying to me. I wrote down what he was, I thought he was saying to me. And how many of you know, we never know it's exactly God. But if you write down everything that you're hearing, you can go back through it later and sort it out. And you can pull out all the Bob statements or all the Janet statements. And you can just, you end up with some God stuff. So that's what I did. I wrote everything down. And then he asked me this. Bob, what do you want to believe? And I said, well, I want to believe what you're telling me. He says, then go ahead and do that. I said, what do you mean? He says, you have a, a will. You can make choices. Go ahead and exercise your choice here. Choose to believe me. Now, is it that simple? According to him, it is. You've been given a will, and you can choose, choose to believe anything you want. You can continue to, to believe everything the doctor's telling you and all your aches and pains and the darkness in your life. You can continue to believe that. Where does that take you? It's not a good path. Or you can say, I'm not going to believe this. I want a second opinion. And you turn to the doctor, the one who loves us, and you say, I'd like to know what you say about this. You with me? Okay. What do you want to believe? He said, I've given you the power to make choices. You have free will to choose where your life will go. Now do it. Go ahead and make a decision on what you want to believe and then hold to that decision. Begin to rehearse your opinion and begin to minister to yourself. Begin to speak it to your soul and begin to bring healing to your body. I nodded my agreement. You know, I was in a bad place. I'm going, I, I think I get it. I, okay, I'm doing this. And he said, no, Bob, I need you to respond with your mouth. I need you to say what you believe and what you want so that I can agree with you and we can release it into the natural. And so I began to say these things out loud. And he said, I'm in agreement with you. I'm giving you a big amen because you're agreeing with me about your future. And it's not about death. It's not about you being crippled. It's not about you doing this and that right now. This, these things happen, but this is not on your agenda. 
So I nodded my agreement. I began to come out of that. I said, and he says, I want to witness your choice. In other words, he says, I want to say on that day you said this, and I said, amen. And we're going to have a dialogue of words, and I want you to begin to recite them to me, what you want to believe and what you choose to believe. And I remember, <laughs> this is where he, I, I, I kind of I was pretty feeble here. I said, well, I want to believe you. And he said, no, that ain't going to work. <laughs> he said, what I want is a choice and a statement of your choice. And the want tos, we'll leave them behind. I need you to agree with me and make a statement of choice. Lance Wallnauer also wrote this quote. He said, strange but true, it's a voice-activated universe. The word in your mouth opens the vault to everything you need. We'll get into this when we start praying for people, how we're going to begin to learn to pray differently. So I just told the Lord, I said, I choose to believe you. I, I break all my agreements with darkness and the enemy and disease and sickness. And do you know what happened? Nothing changed in my body, but something happened in the atmosphere, and suddenly I was okay. Everything was going to be okay eventually. It was all going to work out because God was with me, and his peace lifted me out of that dark place. Do you believe that? It absolutely works. And so I've got some handouts for you tonight I'm going to give you talk about this little process. I want you to take it with you in your prayer time. And would you hand those out, Lori? And they, it just gives you the steps to moving through this so that you can practice it. So if you've got something going on in your life and you need, some, you need a, a, one of these intentional encounters with God, you can create that atmosphere by inviting him and beginning to talk to him about these things using this tool. Now, this is just a template. It's a, it's a Bob note. You can change it any way you want to to suit you, okay? This is my personality at work, and so let's just wait. I just had like 20 of those. I didn't know how many we needed. If you need one, I can send it to you. Good. All right, so you know what's going you know to make this little list thing work for you? If you actually do it. <laughs> you know what's going to make it not work for you? If you don't do it. That's just the way it works, folks. That's a law in the kingdom, right? If you obey, it goes well. If you don't, another lap around the mountain, right? So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. And uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions first. You didn't know I was going to do this, but I often do this. What did you learn tonight that was significant? What did you learn or what were you reminded of that you said, oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write that down so I can do that. What came to mind that you want to hang on to tonight? Chris? That's good. And you can. You have permission. And he wants to join you there. Mimi? Really? It is.
It's good. So to open that vault, you had to show up with your key. But the keeper to the vault had it, right? <laughs> so if we meet with him, we can get in. That's right. That's good, Mimi. What else? Anybody? What stuck with you that you want to take home? We're not. That's what Paul meant. Mm-hmm. The first time I read that, I thought, wait, 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 wait. What is that saying? That means that the Spirit of God didn't come and just kind of settle in. He came and he bonded, he embedded himself into my spirit. So there's no difference between him and me now. That bond was permanent, irreversible, and it's one thing now. I am forever a different person, and I'm no longer limited to being just a human being. I have much more available to me now because I'm a spirit being. And we need to learn to start living like spirit beings, don't we? Anything else? Anybody learn anything other than that? Okay. Okay. It was good for me. Yes, sir. Exactly. Who do we have control over in this world? Just yourself. You have no authority or control over someone else. So just let it go. Okay? We'll continue to remind each other that all our codependent relationships, right? So let me pray over us and we'll go eat. And we've got some great food. Lord's done a really good job here. So, yeah, really. So, um, Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this encouraging word that says that you're inviting us, not just into the big event, but into the everyday intentional encounter with you. And and you've told us that if we would create something where you could come, that you would join us there. Help us to learn how to do that with our new practices. Help us to learn how to practice these little steps of S-T-A-R, stop, turn, ask, and respond. And to begin to practice it in our everyday lives with every situation that comes up. To always remember that it's important, it's critical for us to stop in our tracks and turn to you and ask you for the truth. Amen? Okay, thank you for listening.